For more media content from Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, go to gccsatx.com. Okay. Uh, while it occurs to me too, are you filming, brother? I do want to say good morning to the Antunes in Australia. We got cut out last time we tried that. Brethren, I'd like to draw your attention back to Romans 12, verse 11 one more time. So if you can all find that passage. Romans 12. Verse 11. I'd like us to all read it together. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. As I tried to draw out last week, this verse might read this way. Now look, I'm going to read you a way that this verse could read, and I'm not doing any damage to the meaning of the words when I read it this way. We could read it this way. Let there be no laziness in your passion. Boil in spirit as you perform the duty of a slave to the Lord Jesus. Now look, one thing you can't mistake is there's intensity in this verse. So I first sought to explain it. The second thing I wanted to do was enforce this upon us all by what I thought were some very persuasive arguments. And I gave them, if you remember, if you were here, 12 of them. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that. I'm going to go over them real quick with you. I sought to encourage you to serve the Lord fervently for these 12 reasons. One, because Jesus Christ says in Luke 16, we got to quit. We got to we got to stop traffic through this door. Think think I should lock it? Now he's on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Here are the 12 reasons that we should serve the Lord fervently. Sir, you know what? We're going to we're going to stop traffic through this door. If if you need to let's let's use the side or the back. I'm actually going to I'm going to lock us all in. <laughs> we tend to get some other people coming through there right before the lunch too, so that, that works good. Okay, you ready? We've been here before. Twelve of them. The first one was, based on Luke 16, the Lord says what I said was something that ought to cause us to hang our heads. He says that children of this world are actually more shrewd in dealing with their generation than the sons of light. The very first reason is this. We ought to serve the Lord fervently so that it can't be said of us that the people out here in this world are serving their own ends with more diligence, more wisdom, and more shrewdness than the sons of light are serving their ends. That was the first one. The second one is, we need to serve the Lord fervently in the little things because those who are faithful in the little things end up having doors ultimately by God opened up to them for the bigger things. You're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. The third reason was this. 
And I drew from that text in the Old Testament from Ecclesiastes, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. And I was emphasizing we need to serve the Lord fervently. We need to do it with all of our heart. We need to do it with all of our might. Not this half-hearted thing where we start stuff and finish it. Because we got people all over the place today that want to get started with things, but they don't want to finish it. They want to go where the action is. They want to go where the fun is. They want to go where the excitement is. But as soon as it wears off, they're out of there. We need to serve the Lord fervently because the Lord hates half-hearted service. Lukewarmness makes him want to vomit, as he said to the Laodicean church. Spew out of his mouth. Serve the Lord fervently because those who are not fervent but rather, rather idle, Paul says, we're to put them out of the church. We're to disassociate ourselves with them. Serve the Lord fervently because it's the highest privilege in the world to serve Christ. Serving Christ is serving the most magnificent being that there is. Very few have that privilege. Serve the Lord fervently and quit with the excuses because excuses are for the lazy and the sluggard. And you see it in the Proverbs. There's a lion in the way. There's people observing the clouds. And they won't plant. We've got too many excuses. Too many people have reasons why they can't serve the Lord rather than just going and serving the Lord fervently. Serve the Lord fervently because our Lord Jesus promised that Christians that serve Him, that believe in Him, they'll do greater works than He did. Serve the Lord fervently so that when you're gone, your service will have been valuable enough to be like Dorcas, who when she was gone, she was missed. Serve the Lord fervently to be missed when you're gone. Serve the Lord fervently so that what you do with your life matters enough so that when you're not there any longer doing the things that you do, people take notice because you were that valuable. Serve the Lord fervently, especially going after souls. Why? Because we believe hell is real and hell is hot. Serve the Lord fervently because Christ loves you so fervently. And what a master we have to serve. And serve the Lord fervently because you don't know how much time you have. We need to serve the Lord while it's day. The night is coming when nobody's going to be able to serve Him. And as I quoted to you last week from William Burns' brother, we must hurry. We don't have much time. This is our time. I spent some time yesterday in a cemetery. And I was looking. And some of them, one of them had a picture on it of a lady that... You know, she was born in the 1800s. She died like in the 1920s. And I'm going along, I'm looking at these different tombstones. I'm thinking, their bodies are in there. They lived their lives. Their lives are done. What'd they do with them? And you know what? A hundred years from now, somebody trouncing through a cemetery doing the same thing I was doing yesterday, guess what they're going to see? They're going to see your stone. And your time's going to be gone and your body's going to be dead in the ground. Serve the Lord fervently. We've got a little time left. So there they are. There were the twelve. We see this. We hear this. We know this. You intellectually have some contemplation in your mind that this is true. But here's what I want to go after today. Fervency comes from somewhere. There's a power, folks. I want to look at the power behind our fervent service to the Lord. And I'm going here for a reason. Because there's some practical principle that I want to draw on that I think will help you. That I think if you meditate on the rest of your life, you will do well. It will help you in your walk, in your run. Look, this is what we know. Whenever we find somebody 
who is unusually on fire for the Lord, somebody who unusually has a burning zeal for Christ in service to Him, just like we find in this text. They're full of love. They're full of conviction. Full of passion. The truth is, that energy comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? You know what Jesus Christ said? This comes to the root of the whole matter. Lay it down. Jesus Christ said this, Without Me, you can do nothing. That comes to us right out of John 15.5. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. You know what He's saying? I'm the power plant. All the electricity is manufactured here. And if you're not plugged into Me, nothing. He's not saying you can't do anything in the fleshly realm. Obviously, People that don't know Christ got up this morning, they read their newspaper, they ate, they turned on their TV. Obviously, people can do like that. What he's saying is this, anything that really has to do with serving me, anything that has to do with any true godly zeal, anything that is really profitable, anything that really matters, anything that's really righteous, anything that's really valuable, you can't do it unless you're plugged into me. I'm where it comes from. Let's just let that sink in a second. You know what that means? That means that even when we serve Him, He's serving us. You see that? Brethren, even as we strive to zealously, intensely, passionately serve Christ, we come to find out when we look behind the scenes, there He is. Him serving us. And you know what? This is no mystery in the Scriptures. I mean, one of the guys that served the Lord most passionately, probably the man that served Christ more passionately than anybody we can find record of, the Apostle Paul. And you know what you find? Paul, again and again and again, reveals to us where the ability to serve so fervently came from. Listen to this. Romans fifteen eighteen. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to it. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. You see that? By His words, by His deeds, He brought the Gentiles to repentance. And He says this, Jesus Christ did that. It was His power working through me. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians 15.10 I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God. And I'll tell you where the grace of God is, the power of God is. He says the grace of God in me. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see, you've got to have Him strengthening you if you're going to do all things. All the things you need to do in the service of Jesus Christ come by way of Him. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. One more. Colossians 1.29. Just listen to this. I toil, struggling with all His, Christ, I toil, struggling with all Christ's energy that He powerfully works within me. Brethren, even when we toil, struggling to fervently serve Christ, it's not as though we supply Him with something. All the time in our service, we look behind the scenes, it's Christ's energy powerfully working in us. My life of serving Him is a life of constant trusting and depending 
and looking and receiving from Him. But that's not all. You know what? I got to thinking as I was, as I was contemplating where this energy came from, and, and of course we see it right there. I love that text in Colossians. I toil struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. What a statement! But then I got thinking next. Okay, when His energy works in me, what can I do? Well, I might start by saying, I can do all things. All things? I don't know if Paul meant he could jump to the moon, but I'll tell you the things he could do were pretty astounding when the energy of Christ was at work in him. Do you know what he could do? He could beget men. Did you not hear the text that I read? I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You know what? Such power can be unleashed in men and women to accomplish the bringing of Gentiles to obedience. Now, you know what? A lot of times I like to use these two words. Well saved. Puritans use that. Well saved. You know what? Do we want people well saved? Aside from what? Aside from that sorry imitation Christianity where people profess Christ, they have no conviction, they have no fear of God, they waltz around like sin just doesn't matter. They take it all as just it's light, it's trivial. Christianity is just this little thing tack on their life. That's a sorry imitation. But I'll tell you this, when Paul says he was bringing Gentiles to obedience, you know what he's speaking about? He's speaking about people well saved. He's speaking about such things happening in Him, through Him, as He proclaims that Gospel that Gentiles are being saved in such fashion that their whole life is turned upside down. Where it was all full of disobedience and depravity before, now they're set on a track of obedience. Disobedience to obedience. Radical transformation. Going from darkness to light. This is the real... What He's saying is, this happens. Christ works in us to cause this very kind of thing where people suddenly, where disobedience characterizes their life now, obedience characterizes it. Brethren, by the power of Christ, we can beget men. And I'll tell you, that's not believed in all places. Craig and I came from a church up north. I'm telling you, there was a mindset up there that people could not be saved. When I came down here, I'd get on the phone. Craig, somebody got saved! It's like, no! This is unbelievable. (laughs) Folks, through the power of Christ, we can be... We can be the begetters of men. What else? Now look, I'll tell you this. Don't get all scared. Don't get all bent out of shape here. Whether you have faith to believe this or not, I'll tell you what God's Word says. I'll let you argue about whether it's for today or not, but I'll tell you what, there there was at least a time, and I hear about places today. Let me tell you this. God's Word says another thing Christ's power in us can produce is the power of signs and wonders. Now, I know that's scary, but let's just listen. Let the Scriptures speak. 
Don't get all bent out of shape to hear what God has to say. Romans 15.18, where I've been reading from, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring into Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now listen to this. As those first believers went forth serving the Lord, carrying out the great missionary commission, here's what's said of them. Mark 16.20, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Brethren, the Lord worked with them. When we serve the Lord fervently, we're not alone. And I'll tell you this, we're supernatural people. When Jesus Christ energizes you, when He is at work in us, the church of the living Christ is a supernatural being. And we can't get to the place where we're so scared of anything supernatural that we want to shut it down all the time. We want to fill the place with all sorts of unbelief. I'll tell you what, we need to have an expectancy of a God who does and will break out. I think what A.W. Tozer said hits it right on the head when he said this, we need that effectual energy. See, he's talking about the power too. We need that effectual energy which God has released into the church which made her fruitful in labor and invincible before her foes. Then he goes on to say this, Miracles? Yes. When and where they are necessary. And I'll tell you this, I've just seen some guy on the internet and he's, he's out there and he's speaking about anything supernatural in the church today, especially among those that he calls Calvinists. And he says, where are your miracles? I'll tell you this, it may very well be, folks, just what Tozer says. Miracles, yes, when and where they are necessary. Maybe one of the reasons we don't see more of this is because we're not serving so fervently, so dangerously, so out of our comfort zones as to make such things necessary. We'll pass by that. What else? This is one that I already spoke about, but I think this is worth putting in here. What kind of things can Christ-empowered men and women accomplish? John 14.12, Jesus Christ says, Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works will He do, because I am going to the Father. You know what? Jesus' claim here is nothing less than startling. And I'll tell you, if you let this grip you, you know what it's saying? If you will step out and serve the Lord boldly and fervently, you can expect to do works equal to Christ and greater. Not because we are greater than Christ. Why? Because He went to the Father. Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived perfectly. He took that obedience to the cross. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father and He released the Spirit of whom He said, it is more profitable for me to go and you to get the Spirit than for me to stay and you not to get the Spirit. What He was saying is this, I'm going to unleash such a power into this church that you will be able to not only do what I do, but greater than what I do. Because I go to the Father. If you'll let that grip you, why in the world would we want to stay in our little protected safe zones when it's possible to bust out there and have this expectancy. Christ working in us. Do you have, brethren, do you have faith in this? I think we're scared to death of texts like that. We want to minimize them. And oftentimes we want to minimize them and explain them away. Why? Because we want to save 
face. Because the truth is, when we look at our life, we look at a lot of our churches, we say, you know what? We don't see ourselves doing things equivalent to Christ, let alone greater. And so we, we write off such texts. We re-explain them. Brethren, what we need to do is grab hold of them by faith and let them be a catapult to launch us out. There's one more thing I want to mention that we accomplish in the power of the living Christ. Now listen to me, because this, this is where I want to camp the rest of the time. I call it deliverance. But I used freedom. Then I went to deliverance and I still was thinking this is not right. This is not exactly what I want to say. So even though I don't have a specific title, I can say this. The power working in us, we can beget men. The power working in us, it unleashes a supernatural. The power working in us of Christ, we can accomplish works equal to His and greater than His, but also the power working in us. We can experience deliverance. We can experience a freedom. We can accomplish such things in a life, in the area of holiness, in the area of righteousness, that we can't do without Him. Now listen to me. We are called to serve Christ. Guess what? We are not called to serve sin. Romans 6.6 6. We're not called to serve the law. Romans 7.6 6. We're not called to serve our bellies. Romans 16.18 We're not called to serve money. Matthew 6.24 We're called to serve Christ. Now listen to this. Christ gives us power to overcome sin, temptation, physical appetites, this world, the things that are in this world, the devil all as we serve Him. Now look, I am developing a principle here for you that I want you to really hear. Let me ask you something. We can all gather in this place and we can keep coming back here for the rest of our lives. But I tell you this, you know when we're going to see men begotten? When we diligently go after them. You know when we're going to see the supernatural? When we do such things that demand it. You know when you accomplish things greater than what Christ did? When you go out these doors and set yourself to doing greater things than Christ did. And I'll tell you this, there's a connection in Scripture between your ability to overcome temptation and sin, the world, the physical appetites, and your service. And I tell you what, sitting still, sitting comfortable, sitting in the comfort zone is not where righteousness is worked out. It is not where the power of God comes into your life. You know what? One of the problems is, with some people, one of the reasons they don't see greater expressions of the power of Christ in their life to free them from certain things and they're so ensnared is because they're basically living a life that's selfish. They're basically living a life that's protected. They're basically living a life that's safe. 
That basically we live in a life where they really aren't serving the Lord passionately. And what I'm trying to do is bring this together. When you serve the Lord fervently, that's where the power of Jesus Christ is released to serve the Lord fervently. Now let me develop this just a little bit. Listen to this. Galatians 1.4 says, The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins, not just, although it includes this, for the forgiveness of sins, yes, but that's not what Paul's talking about right here. To deliver us from the present evil age. Now here's the thing. We're enwrapped, we're ensnared by nature in this present evil age. It controls us. We follow the course of it. He says in another place, Jesus Christ died to deliver us from the present evil age. You guys, what, what, you know what? I entitled this section Deliverance based on that word right there. Deliver. He died to deliver. Now you guys see that, you hear that. Titus 2.14 Again, the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for us. Same thing that was said in Galatians. He gave Himself for our sins. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And here, here is a reason that He gave Himself for us. To purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, if that doesn't have a ring of Romans 12.11, I don't know what does. Zealous! He wants us zealous. He wants us zealously serving Him with good works. He shed His blood. He gave Himself on that cross to make a people just like this. Now, I don't think any of you have any problem with that. Galatians 6.14 says this, the world has been crucified to me. What's crucified mean? The thing's been put to death. The thing, the thing has been crucified. The thing has been disabled. The world is crucified to me. 1 Peter 2.24 he Himself bore our sins in His body. Here it goes. Same kind of language Paul's been saying. He gave Himself for us. He gave Himself for our sins. Peter says the same thing. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's how we live that we might live to righteousness and die to sin. Brethren, now here, here's where I'm going with this. There's energy in Christ to no longer stay where we were. You go on to read Peter. He says, "His wounds, by his wounds, you've been healed. You were strained. You see what? By his wounds, how are we healed, Peter? Well, you used to stray. Now you've returned. You see again. It's got to do with life." I used to stray. I don't stray anymore. Now I've come to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Brethren, there's energy in Christ to no longer stray. There's energy in Christ to die to this world. There's energy in Christ to die to sin, to die to the present evil age. Brethren, you know what? The Apostle Paul got to a place where he said, I, or it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How does somebody get to the place where they say that? It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. You know, you want to know what, you want to know when we get to a place like that? It's when I become aware that, you know what? It's no longer me. I see Christ living in me. And the evidence that Christ lives in us is when we see the power of Christ being demonstrated in our life. We realize, we realize that 
There is a zeal. There is, there is a pattern of good works. There is a pattern of habitual righteousness that's coming forth in my life. I see Christ living in me when that kind of thing is coming forth. When I see the power in me. It's power, brethren. There is power to be had to live higher planes than where you're at presently. But how do we tap it? That's the thing. That's what I'm asking. I know, I mean, we need to stop right here and just ask that question. Can I prove to you biblically that there is such power to be tapped into? I want to, I want to develop a principle that I really think will be helpful for you. This is what I'm saying, and I want to be very clear. There is a power to overcome sin to the degree that you have not overcome it yet. There is a power to overcome temptation and lust and dryness and coldness and lovelessness and worldliness and all that. There is a power to be had at a level that I believe you have not had it yet. There is a place for growth. There is a place for upward movement. There is a place to know more of this power. Some of you probably sitting there wondering where that power is. You hear about it. You might believe. You can see. He, he definitely gave Himself to deliver us. He definitely gave Himself to make us die to sin and alive to righteousness. You can hear these verses. You can see these verses. You're just sitting there and you're saying, when I look at my life, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of this power. Now listen, I want to say it again. Jesus Christ... gives the power to serve Him fervently as we serve Him fervently. Now watch this. I want this to grab you. Here's the Apostle Paul. I'm staggered by this statement. And it's, I've meditated on it a lot. And I think it's very worthwhile for you to think about this. The Apostle Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 4.4, I am not aware of anything against myself. Now you remember what was happening. The Corinthians were basically leveling charges against Him. And you know what he says to the Corinthians? He said, that doesn't mean that there isn't anything there, but we're going to wait till Judgment Day to find this out. And I don't really don't care that you're judging me. But you know what he says? He says, when I examine my own life, as far as I can see and as far as I know, I know of nothing against myself. What a, that is a, an amazing statement. He lived in such a way, Christ living in him with a clear conscience before God and man, that he knew of nothing against himself. And I challenge you, Christian, do you live that way? Do you live not knowing anything against yourself? Paul kept short accounts with God. If something wasn't right, he got it straight. He repented. He did not have an ongoing fashion be able to look at his life and say, I know about something is wrong in my life hadn't been dealt with. He dealt with things. He lived a life where I, regularly, constantly, he did not know anything against himself. Now why do I bring that up? Because in the exact same letter, Paul says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And all I'm doing here is saying this. You've got a man that worked harder than any. And I'll tell you what, the grace of God was in this man to walk in such a way that he could look at his life and say, I know nothing against myself. He had power to live so as to know nothing against himself. 
And it came in the midst of a life where he worked hard. He wasn't idle. He was fervent. Now some of you are saying, okay, but now show me and prove to me those two go together. Show to me and prove to me that as I work hard, the grace is there to walk so as not to know anything against myself. Show me, prove to me, the power is there to deliver me. And show that connection. Make that connection. Well, I'm going to. But I'll tell you, brethren, we need the unleashing of such spiritual energy and sufficient voltage to produce great saints. Once again, brethren, listen to me. We have a breed of harmless, Calvinistic Christian that walks around today. We find in our generation, they talk about the sovereignty of God, and then they sit on their Facebook for five hours. They'll argue about the Christian Sabbath. And then Sunday afternoons watch trash on television that God certainly doesn't approve of. Brethren, we have theological saints. And you know what? They tend to want to prove themselves by their correct interpretations of limited atonement. But what we really need is a resurrection of men and women who by conviction and self-control and dying to self, truly show the power of Christ in their life. We can come in here and we can hone and sharpen the blade and try to get it all right and all down. And obviously I'm not against good doctrine. I'm not against knowing our Bible. We need that truth. We as the church are the ground and pillar of truth. We need to have that truth. Our Gospel needs to be truth. There's power in that truth. It's the truth that sets free. But I'm telling you this, we get to the place where we want to just meticulously hone down this and that. And, and there, like I say, there's a generation today that basically their Christianity is based on their ability to articulate some doctrine rather than to show the power of God in their life and to be able to say, I know nothing against myself. There is that kind of Christianity. Now here's what, here's, I'm going to bring these two together for us. And actually, this comes from an Old Testament passage. Isaiah chapter 58. Many of you are aware of it. Let me just tell you right off the cuff here, very quickly, what kind of thing you find in in Isaiah 58. Loose the bonds of wickedness. In other words, seek to free people from wickedness. And don't you be one of them that's putting the bonds of wickedness on other people. Don't treat other people wickedly. Treat them right. Treat them kindly. Treat them with love. Seek to loose people as much as possible. Undo the straps of the yoke. When you find people that are, are basically strapped down by sin or strapped down by any kind of cultural strappings and unrighteousness, we're to let the press go free. We're to break every yoke. We're to free people. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover him. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Now listen to this. Here is this very critical, very important word, then. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, 
and your healing shall spring up speedily. Remember, we already heard about healing from Peter. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Let me tell you something. You know what you find here? You serve the Lord, and the Lord will cause your righteousness. Oh, there's there's incredible things more here to be found. You know what happened this week? I call an old friend over in England, Leslie Smith. Some of you know him. He and his wife are are you know health wise they are not doing well. I said, Leslie. What's the Lord been showing you from the Scriptures lately? Because I love to hear from Him. I love, I love to hear what, what God is telling Him. And you know what? Out of all the things, I, here I am. I've been thinking about all these, these principles and, and how, do, how do we unleash this power? And you know what He tells me? He gets going on. I, I don't even exactly know how we got there. But he, he starts talking in a vein that was right consistent with exactly what I've been thinking about. And here's what He said. He said, you know what, when he was first saved, he was first a Christian, he had this mindset that he should have lots more victory over sin and over temptation than what he was finding he was having. And he said, you know, there was some measure of frustration. He wasn't certain what was happening. And he said, he came to something that was revelatory to him. You know where it came from? Right out of Romans chapter 6. And he said this to me. He said it was the word yield. And it comes from verse 13 in the KJV. In ours, ESV, it says present yourself. But there in the KJV it says yield. That's what Leslie uses. He said that word yield, freedom. Well, how so? Well, here it is. You know what? When you yield or present your members to God in His service, serve Him! That's serving Christ. You do it fervently. You give yourselves. What you find there is power to overcome. Now look, this is not random! When you go look there, and if you're not already there, go look there. Go look at Romans chapter 6. There is an amazing sequence, threefold sequence right there. You have one in verse 13, the, the yielding, and then you have two, sin, not having dominion. Three, Because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And here's what Leslie told me. He said, yield. That was the key that unlocked the lock for him. And then you know what he said? He found that when he was busy, he overcame. And I'm not just talking busy, doing... I'm talking presenting his members in fervent service to the living Christ. And as he was busy in doing that, he found that the power was unleashed in his life to overcome! And you know what? You look there. There's some conjunctions. You look at verse 13. Present your members. 
You go into verse 14, you've got the word, at least in our ESV, for. You know what that is? That is a connecting conjunction. And basically, it is a conjunction that expresses the idea of explanation. And then you go to the middle of 14, and guess what you've got there? You've got the exact same conjunction again, only this time in our ESV, it's the word since. Both of those. It's basically saying this, yield yourselves to God. Why? On this basis... Sin will have no dominion. Why? On this basis. Because you're not under law. You're under grace. And I'll tell you what. The law never gave you an ounce of power to do anything. But grace does. Grace. Paul says it's by the grace of God in Him that He worked harder than everybody else. You know what there is with grace? There's power. Always. And you go on and you read further in Isaiah 58. And what you find is this truth. There's a connection. There's a then. There's a qualification. Pour yourselves out for the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. Your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you. Satisfy your desire. Make your bones strong. You want to be a strong Christian? Then! Do these things then! There's conditions! And I fear that one of the reasons we don't know more of the power of God in overcoming is because we're idle. And I don't mean idle in physical things. I mean we're idle in spiritual things. When it says to serve Christ, yes, you can serve Christ and you can do it with a passion out in a secular workplace. I'm not saying that. But when all you do is go to that workplace and all you do is basically act like the world out there in the workplace, you're not serving Christ. But when you go there and you're a powerful testimony and you're a witness and you speak that Gospel and you're upright and when they steal, you don't and you reprove their works of darkness and when they tell the dirty and filthy joke, you don't smile, you don't laugh, but rather you reprove it and you're a faithful witness. Some of the reason we're not having more overcoming is because we sit safe, we sit protected. Now listen to me. I'll tell you this. I was just I was just saying to the to the Butterballs recently they they were bringing up the idea about a, a Friday night um, Bible study and I was saying why don't we turn it into a Friday night ministry and I've had got some ideas about cell groups I was thinking that maybe we could do some teaching there but you know what brethren let me tell you something this whole thing about Bible studies I am I am not a big fan of perpetually multiplying Bible studies unless the Bible study tends to be some kind of outreach among some people that aren't otherwise being reached. And I'll tell you why. You know what? We can multiply our teaching here. We can multiply the Bible studies. We can multiply the services. We can multiply the sermons. But I'll tell you this. You go to Ephesians chapter 4. You know what you find? You find that the living Christ gave gifts to the church. You know what He gave? He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastor, teacher. Why did He give them? To equip. To equip the church for ministry. And you know what the problem is? We get the sword out. We sharpen, we sharpen, we sharpen, we sharpen, we sharpen. And we put it away. We bring it back out the next week. We sharpen, we sharpen, we sharpen, we sharpen. And you're not doing ministry. You go to the Bible study. You go to the service. You go to Sunday school. You go to this. You go... I mean, basically, we multiply these things. You got your tapes, you're going online, you're listening, you're hearing. But, brethren, we got to break out of this. It can't be all teaching. You know what? Especially in the Calvinistic circles, 
We get to the place where we feel like, well, we gotta hone this thing, we gotta know that doctrine, we gotta do this, we gotta be able to argue it, we gotta be able to, gotta be able to explain limited atonement. Gotta be able to explain superlapsarianism. Gotta get these things down. We gotta know this. We gotta have our systematic theology. I'll tell you this. You will have the grace of God to learn these things in a more practical way than you could ever hope for if you'll bust out these doors and go do ministry. You're equipped to do ministry, folks. Listen, what am I saying here? I'm saying this. You've got to present your members and go out and feed and clothe and do things with the homeless poor and spread that Gospel and go where it's not safe. And that's where you're going to see the power unleashed. Folks, you can't perpetually just hear, just listen, just be equipped and think that that's where the power of God comes down upon the church. And I'll tell you, I've had this mind, I've had this thought in my mind throughout this week about that early church. And I was thinking about them up there. And there they are. They're all huddled around and they're all scared. And, you know, they're at Jerusalem and 120 of them and they've been told to stay there. Spirit of God comes and flame, tongues, fire, and you got the whole deal, and they're all there and they're praying together. And but I'll tell you what, they didn't sit there and pray together forever. They didn't sit there together and just just enjoy all the little blessings of their little safe haven. You know what thought has really struck me this week? The early church came down from the upper room. Brethren, we gotta come out of fatties. We gotta come out of our Bible studies, and we've got to do the things that really reach the world. You don't turn the world upside down when you stay in the upper room. You turn the world upside down when you come down. you got to come down. Isaiah 58 is a picture of people coming down. And when they come down, then the righteousness. Then our bones are strong. Then we're like the tree planted by the side of the river. Then all that Word comes out. Then God will hear from heaven and He'll say, here I am. And He'll answer us. Then our prayers are answered. I think it was Piper. He talked about prayer. He said, it's not just a, what a, a, a pastime uh, PA system. He said, it's a military walkie-talkie for calling down reinforcements. One of the reasons we don't find our prayers more answered is because we're not doing things in our life that demand the answer to such prayers. We got folks, we've got to come out of our safety zones. And you know what? I love reading biography. I love reading history. And you know what? I'll tell you this. As you scour through all of history, you look for where the power of God fell. It was never where they stayed huddled in their little safety protected places. One of the reasons we don't see more power today is you know why? We've basically taken this, now not actually, but we've drawn this chalk line. And it's, it's basically the line of security. It's the line of safety. And we basically, we love to be very active within those lines. But rarely does anybody step out. You look, amazing! Listen to those messages from that Far East missionary from 96. 80% of the unreached people in this world come from China. Islam, Buddhists, Hindus. 80%. And a whole movement of Reformed churches 
You can count at that time, you could count on one, maybe two fingers in 40 years how many missionaries had been sent to that place. You know what that speaks of? Safety, security, and powerlessness. Is it any wonder that those are the very movements that want to hold back the supernatural? They don't like it. They're not comfortable with it. They don't like to go there. Brethren, hear me. As long as those early believers went forth and preached everywhere, Mark 16 says, the Lord worked with them, confirming the Word with signs following. But I'll tell you this. There's a threefold connection. You present your members and serve You serve God. You present your members. Then, or for, or the reason, You will find sin not having dominion. For, or since, or another causal reason. You're not under the law, you're under grace. And I would come back to this. In all of our service, what we don't want to do is we don't want to get to the place where we all huddle in our upper room and we all keep running to the mirror and we all keep looking in it and we're we're wondering, navel-gazing. Well, are, are we doing this? Are we doing that? I'll tell you this. Bottom line is, The starting point and the foundation of all of this is grace. Grace. Yes, we need to yield. Yes, we need to serve. Yes, we need to be fervent. Yes, we need to strive. Yes, we need to do something that is worthy of calling down this thing. Yes, we need to seek to be escaping worldliness and unrighteousness. Yes, they may get a foothold where we're inactive, but I'll tell you what, for all of our activity and all that Leslie Smith can talk about and being busy, and he found out when he did that, that's when he overcame. For all that, folks, we boil it down to this. In all of that, we can't merit a thing with God. And we come back to the grace of the matter. And Jesus Christ came here upon this earth Brethren, you know what? We're in the upper room right now. Our fatties is our little upper room. It's our little place of safety. It's the place where you come to hear so that you can be equipped for the ministry. That's why you're being equipped. That's exactly it. But I'll tell you this, to go out these doors and touch this world, you need a confidence. You need an assurance You need that. You need a hope. You know what gives a man a confidence and assurance to come down out of that upper room? I'll tell you this. Those 120 little scattered motley crew gathered in that room, I'll tell you this. They knew this. They knew that Christ that they had loved and they had followed. He rose from the dead. They knew He'd gone to that cross, and it couldn't hold Him. Death couldn't hold Him. He came up out of there. And they knew. They knew He was a righteous man. They knew what that thief on that cross knew. They knew what that centurion... He looked up at that man and He knew certainly this was a righteous man. They knew that. He was a righteous man. You know what Jesus Christ had done? He had earned for them a righteousness they could not earn. He earned a righteousness you cannot earn in all your yielding and all your serving fervently of Christ all the rest of your days. He earned it. He worked it out. And it's perfect. He worked out the perfect righteousness and the perfect obedience to the law of God that you and I can't in our best efforts 
And I'll tell you what, that's what gives us the authority. That, that's what, you know, I'll tell you this. When you've got confidence to go out that door, when you've got confidence, Christ has done that. Did you hear how many times Paul went back to that as he talks about overcoming this world? Delivered from this present evil age? Dying to sin? Living to righteousness? The Peter and Paul both, they kept coming back to this. He gave Himself. He laid down. There's a sacrifice, folks. There's a sacrifice that unleashes this power. You know what? Some of, some of you, I'm afraid, you're, you're, there's just so many questions. There's weakness. You feel like, oh, this thing, this, I, I would expect there to be more power. And you're lacking assurance. Sometimes you're not sure whether you're, you're actually a Christian or not. You've got these questions going through your mind. And it's because of this. You don't have that assurance. You don't have that confidence. You haven't looked at Christ. I'll tell you, when that grips you, that what He did, He did for me. He did in my place. He gave Himself. He worked out a righteousness that I couldn't. But the law demands. The law demands. Who is it that was saying it? Seems like I just heard somebody, but you basically, this absolutely perfect, oh, I, it, was, it was Charles Leiter, I saw him over in Denmark or somewhere, he was talking about the fact that what God expects from us, and the only way we'll be ever accepted, is if we are like Christ. If we are perfectly like Christ. When the scales are brought out, it's not all your good and all your bad. It's Christ and you. And you better measure up. You better be equal to Him or you're going down. And I'll tell you what, when we're in Him, basically God looks at us and accepts us as perfect. He died in our stead. He shed His blood in our stead. He shed His blood, folks. He took His obedience. Just think of Him. He worked this obedience out. I mean, we talk about the Apostle Paul not knowing anything against himself, but Judgment Day will reveal that there are things against Him. But Judgment Day will reveal this. Christ is pristine. When I'm in Him, that perfect righteousness is in my place. I'll tell you what that does. That was earned for me by grace. Now, there's power in that grace, but grace is free. Grace is unmerited. Grace is something you take as a gift. And when I take that freely from Him, and I come to believe wholeheartedly and trust and have that confidence I'm accepted in Him, guess what? That's the confidence you need to come out of this upper room. You go out of this upper room, we get out there, we get on the front lines. I'll tell you folks, you look through history. When was the power of God in the church? It's always been out there when God's people have gone forth. Tozer says this, the power of God has always been on the frontiers. It's always out there where we're breaking new line. He makes the comment, it's never in the seminary where all the thoughts are, are you know, basically guided and constrained and directed. It's never... And you know what happens? And this is a danger. As this church grows, you know what can happen? We begin to pull in. We begin to pull in. When you begin to pull in, when you become idle, when you begin to become safe, you know what you do? Then you go into protection mode. You start trying to protect the gains. Folks, we don't want to be that place. We don't want to get in the place where we're protecting the gains. Better off to send people out the door and have them mowed down on the battlefield. Because the blood of those guys will end up just watering the church and will begin producing a lot more of them. Brethren, do you hear what I'm saying? Leslie Smith saw that when he got busy about the work, he overcame. Some of you are idle. Some of the reasons that some of you don't have more success over the lust and over the different things 
is because you're idle and because you're basically allowing yourself to be the devil's playground. And part of the reason that you're not willing to step forth is because you don't really have a confidence in that grace. You're not under law anymore. You're under grace. God is with us. We need to head out. We've been made right with God by what Christ has done. We need that confidence and we need to go out. Which ones of you are going to do it? I mean, even in your workplace, you, some of you, you're on the eve of a new year at school. You need to be, you need to be, you know what? You ought to make it a point. You go into a certain class in time over the semester. I'm going to try to share the gospel or at least give a, a, a DVD or a track to every single person in that class, including the professor. Why not? You're in a workplace. You ought to seek to communicate with everybody there. What opportunities do we have? There's, there's jails. We don't presently have a jail ministry. Is there anybody to take up that ministry? You know what? Before you guys, before any of you start another Bible study, let's think about some way we can reach out. We can just sharpen our swords so long. Then we got to go on the battlefield and start using them. Don't think, oh, this is all exciting. We're coming here. We're learning all about the, the doctrines of grace. And we're learning about the sovereignty of God. And we're coming under good Bible exposition. For what? If it's not preparing you to serve, then for what? And when all we do is, is sharpen the sword and sharpen the sword, and we all camp down, we all get safe, we all get protected, we're not going to know the power of God. We're not going to know answered prayers. You know, what the, you know what Isaiah 58 says? It says you do all those things, then God will say, here I am. Now we've had that. And I know we've got some people doing some things, but what I'm calling you to do is more. Brethren, do more. More and more. Let's go forth. Our time's short. Hell is real. The lost... Look, I just came... I found out 28 college campuses in this city. I hope some of you are going to come with me. If we went to count up the jails that are in this surrounding area, we got a lot. We're not Now we have before, we've touched some of them, but recently none of them. We used to go Well, there's just a number of them. We used to, not anymore. Hospitals. We have no regular hospital ministry. We used to have two ongoing nursing home ministries. I don't know if we're even doing any anymore. We used to have a good turnout over at Sam's Shelter. Now it's kind of moved over to Salvation Army and the turnout is nowhere near what it used to be. Why? Are we becoming too protected? Are we becoming too proper? Are we becoming too hung up in the earthly... Listen, that second or third type of soil in the parable of the soils, they began to get entangled by the riches, by the, by the things of this world, the cares of this world. You guys getting caught up in cares? Are you getting caught up in wanting to, to just consistently, persistently be taught? Brethren, do you have confidence in what Christ accomplished for you? Do you really believe that there's a power to go out and beget men? Do you believe that there's a power able to be unleashed that we can accomplish greater things? Listen, you guys going to sit back and let you know John Seitzman go off to India and let the Richies go down to Peru and we're just going to sit here kind of safe and you know the, the furthest outside of the safety boundaries we're going to go is to go over to that box and maybe put in a little bit of a you know little bit of a, a part of our check. What, what are we going to do? Our time's short. I mean, do you believe that this power is there or not? And if you believe it, why in the world would you want not, not want to step out and tap into it? 
And if you have these verses in Scripture that say, if you do this, then this will be true. If you have Scriptures that say, present yourself, and you will find sin has no dominion over you. And folks, if you don't think that doesn't have to do with the power of sin, you misread Romans 6. Because right in that whole thing, Paul is talking about why we do not continue in sin. That's how he starts the verse, or the chapter rather. He goes on, what is it, verse 17? He says he's thanking God because those Romans, they became obedient from the heart. They used to be disobedient. They became obedient from the heart to, to that standard that was set down to them. Folks, I'm telling you, this is talking about obedience. This is talking about actually doing what's right. You want a power of God unleashed in your lives to do that? You've got to have a confidence in what Christ accomplished on that cross, a confidence that takes you out the door, a confidence that will set you to the work. And it's just like those those priests of old. Set your foot in the water and you'll find that the waters recede. Go out and get busy and I believe you folks will find out just like Leslie Smith. You get busy, you overcome. And like I say, not just the busyness of the world. This is be busy about the things of Christ. Be busy about the, with the things that Paul was busy with and Peter was busy with. The early church was busy with. Go into the book of Acts and look what they were busy with. Brethren, we can't just be a teaching station perpetually. Yes, we need to teach. But if all it is is teaching, 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 we keep multiplying teaching, what good is it? Listen, we can have a creed or we can have a doctrine of power. But that doctrine in and of itself will not release the power. We've got to have the work of power. So brethren, up from your idleness. Yes, the church can be busy about a thousand things, but it's always within you know, those fear-marked boundaries of safety. I hate it when I see people come into this church and they want to live where it's safe. They want to work where it's safe. They basically want to drive their cars in places where it's safe. They want to have the type of ministries that are safe, that really don't touch the world. Brethren, I think I say that with a, with a biblical emphasis. We've got to do the ministry. The teaching is meant to do that. And if the teaching here isn't sufficient, then God help us to go somewhere where it is to equip us to do this ministry. But this is what you're called to do. You've got to get busy presenting yourself fervently to the work. And as we fervently present ourselves to this work, we will find Christ give us the grace to do it fervently. And by the grace of God, we will work harder than others. And if we do work harder than others, it will be the grace of God. But it's the very power I'm talking to you about. Let's tap it. The then's in Scripture. Let us be about filling. I'm not... Look, you know we want revival? I'm telling you this. Bottom line, I'm telling you this. You go to Isaiah 58, you know what it tells me? I believe that there is power to be had from God that is there for the unleashing if we would meet the conditions to unleash it. And those then's in Isaiah 58 give me warrant for saying that. Maybe some of the things that we've desired and some of the power we've desired. You see, the problem is we sit and we wait for the power rather than in faith, rather than in confidence with what Jesus Christ has done. We step out that door and we say, okay, 
Lord, we're going to the work. If we die out here, we die. If we fail, we fail. But we're going to do it trusting You. We step out that work and then what you find, you know what? That's where you find the supernatural comes. And you go back and you read all your books and you read all those biographies and you read about times of revival. You read where new missionary fronts. You read about any kind of activities where people were having success, where the power of God was manifest. It's never where the people are sleeping. It's never where the people are in the well. It's never where the people stay in the upper room, folks. It's where they come out the doors. Trusting. With confidence. Jesus Christ has died in our place. He's risen. The stamp of approval of what He did on that cross is written all over that. Rising from the dead. He rose, brethren! He rose! They came down from that upper room. They had confidence. That one they followed, there was, there was a little season there where they were thinking, what have we done? This one we followed, we thought he'd be the man and now he's dead and we don't know. But when he rose from the dead, oh folks, there was a confidence. And I'll tell you what, you go through that book where all that power of God is being unleashed in the book of Acts and what do you find that they hit on over and over and over and over? The resurrection. They knew they were gripped by that fact their Lord was raised from the dead. 